0: This is for the passionate Seahawks fans. The ones who care about scheme more than hot takes. The the, the ones who want X's and O's and not talking heads from the eye in the sky. This This, 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 is Seattle Overload.
1: Overload. With your hosts, Matty F. Brown, Griffin Sturgeon, and Ty Dane Gonzalez. Let's go! Welcome to the Seattle Overload podcast where it is our offense review. The Seahawks played offense in 2022, as happened. Geno Smith won the comeback player of the year. However, the offense did dwindle as the season went on. We're gonna explore the data as to why that happened and also just talk around the topics. Griff, how disappointed were you after the great start? How surprised were you after the, the great start? Is this sustainable? These are all things we'll answer, but just an overview.
0: Um, yeah, cause it became, it became the new normal was when Gino, when they were you know on fire scoring points, you know, the first really 13 weeks of the season with some hiccups here and there. And then when the last five weeks occurred, yeah, it was, it was disappointing. It was like, oh no, what happened? Was it all of it? Was all of it real? Was all of it fake? You know, um i mean i never thought it was i thought it was real i thought the rest was just circumstantial contextual and we'll, we'll unpack all that um and then but what reassured me because i would have held that opinion no matter what happened in that wild card game but it was reassuring to kind of end on a high note from gino where he kind of looked like the gino the first 13 games of the season you know uh, ripping passes really accurate he was a good decision maker all that stuff for the most part managed the pocket well um but um yeah i was gonna say something that i totally forgot what it was uh
1: but, but you, you believe basically you believe it is real even though it's disappointing how it ended and the the sort of high note game even with the the fumble in the wild card round the, yeah. that high note game was sort of an encouragement that's what
0: you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was good to end that way, but there was another point I was going to make, which I totally spaced on. Um, the future. But yeah, perhaps? the, perhaps the future, we can always talk about the future. Um, yeah. It's just good to know that, like, I think that this is, they have their quarterback. They have the, the structure of their offense. Like this whole year to me was kind of like a, a proof of concept um, kind of season. And, and the rest was just, like, the offensive line play. Like, forget about quarterback play, just the offensive line. Like, no offense was going to be good for the full course of the season with how – what the offensive line, like, crumbled into pretty much. Like, because it did crumble. But it wasn't permanent. It was more just, like, rookies reaching their limit. Um, and then, you know, injuries on the interior and stuff, like, just all – and then and then the Blythe's weaknesses kind of – being highlighted more as things crumbled around him as well like that was kind of like a negative feedback loop there it's like okay that's the limit of the offense um you know with the exception of the best improvisers in the world at quarterback you know they weren't going to be able to survive that but part of it is trying to remember that like you know there were no expectations this year so the fact that they had came away having identified their future slash immediate future quarterback you know, and then they've got real pieces on offense. Um, like I see more capacity for growth than regression. So they just have so many things going for them. Yeah, so that's how uh, that's how I view all of it. But what, what about you? How, what, what are your general impressions from the season offensively?
1: Yeah, they, they match yours. And we, obviously we're going to dive deeper into this. That is what this podcast is. But in the main, there was – cases of gino pressing a bit too much and trying to make too much happen on, on plays which weren't there but his process was largely the same like it wasn't like he was, suddenly wasn't trying you know or seeing things correctly or trying throws which weren't there or taking bad sacks or you know running himself into pressure or, or not playing within the structure of the offense like he tried to play the same brand of quarterback that he played throughout the season, albeit with some moments of overpressing. The problems were, you know, he wasn't let he was wasn't helped by his supporting cast in, in various areas. But um yeah, so a broad statistical overview, which you've you've put together. So you've put season-long stats, Seattle finished thirteenth in EPA per play, sixteenth in success rate. 11th in EPA per dropback, 5th in dropback success rate, 19th in EPA per rush, and 32nd in rush success rate. Wow. That is a remarkable number. Um, I didn't realize it was that bad. The okay.
0: success rate, yeah.
1: Yeah. So first of all, why is the rush success rate so bad? I What what does that mean?
0: Uh, I mean, that that just kind of tells you right off the bat that their they're down-to-down ability to run the ball is just shitty. Like the, That's the terrifying. blocking is ter- it's it's bad. Like the block a combination of the blocking wasn't there and and Walker was not a great in between the tackles runner, not because of like a lack of aggression or a lack of a you know ability to be physical and stuff, but it was essentially decision making. Um, you know, so something he got better at as the year went on, and like you can tell he's gonna be really good in that department because everything about his you know skill set and traits lend itself toward you know being really good at that like like it's really hard to be better than chris carson was like gun inside zone where the where the the decision making has to occur so quickly because that wash is coming so fast you don't have time to set up your back you know your cut back or anything you kind of have to get up field immediately and feel out the tiny creases you know and be ready for contact and get the most out of as you can like that's something like walker was trying to dance too much essentially um
1: Carson was so good at squaring up and just going
0: right right so like that's something he'll need to get better at but he did get better at it but then on top of that there wasn't a lot of interior push which is uh you know too bad considering you know how good they were at that to end 2021 and then how promising they looked in preseason and then just none of it none of it translated
1: yeah so we'll we'll talk a bit more about the offensive line but in terms of statistics, you, Griff, have, you've separated us uh, Seattle's numbers from weeks 1 to 13 and then weeks 14 to 18. Now, I presume you've done that because weeks 1 to 13 is pretty good other than the rushing numbers, and then weeks 14 to 18 is really bad. Are there, is there another reason for that? or?
0: Yeah, that's just when general play deteriorated. And then also, you know, that's when the injuries started to stack up as well.
1: Right, right. And and if you remember, Seattle, uh, the week 14 game was the Carolina loss at home. And so let, let's, let's break that down. So weeks one to 13, Seattle was sixth in EPA per play, fifth in success rate, sixth in EPA per drop back, first in success rate, 17th in EPA per rush, 30th in rush success rate, um, then weeks 14 to 18, they were 25th in EPA per play, 25th in success rate, 26th in EPA per dropback, 19th in success rate, 17th in EPA per rush, and 28th in rush success rate. So obviously a clear clear decline. So we've we've addressed, we've addressed the rushing stuff. And obviously, first injury to talk about is that Rashad Penny, he did get injured in week five, then got IR'd. I think the run game looked up and down of penny still which uh, so they did struggle to get pushed we were talking about cohesion in the early part of the season but that cohesion never really was found um up front yeah um i get uh, yeah let's talk about the offensive line so in terms of uh one metric that exists for run block uh run blocking is espn's team run block win rate according to espn Seattle only placed 24th in the league in that at 71%. The best was 77% in the Baltimore Ravens. So that's quite a close number together. But none of Seattle's players um, placed in the individual top 10s other than Damian Lewis, who was 68% in run block win rate, which was fourth best in the NFL. Landon Dickerson of the Eagles won that with an 80% run block win rate. So, And Lewis was the one guy who, you, you, in particular, Briff, sig- uh, singled out as being impressive in run-blocking displacement. But the rest was a lot of uh, trying to trying to get movement, not really doing it. Blythe is, is not the strongest centre. He's by no means the weakest. Like He's not a complete uh, aberration in that area. But then when you combine that with the fact that another injury situation gave Jackson... Uh, isn't able to play uh, most most of the games, Um, you have the fact that Jackson played 100% of the snaps in the first five weeks of the season and also in week 18. But from week 6 to 17, he played less than 70% of the snaps, and that was 60% or less of the snaps in nine of those 10 weeks. So he wasn't playing often. And Phil Hames came in during those moments that Jackson had to rest and he's obviously his 2019 fourth round pick. He's turned 28 years old in October. He's kind of a backup level player. And, you know, he had his ups and downs. But, and then on, on top of that as well, and we'll talk about this in pass protection, Abraham Lucas, Charles Cross, they're just go, go, going through uh, rookie growing pains. Like Cross was fine for what he was asked to do. Um mm-hmm. I'd probably say Lucas started well and kind of, as the season progressed, regressed in his run blocking. Yeah. Uh, was, got a bit banged up as well. Missed week 17 uh, and Stone Forsyth came in. I think Lucas had an elbow injury. So, yeah, the the offensive yeah. line, I think, a combination of maybe a slight talent issue, but also injuries and... Um,
0: Inexperience and everything.
1: In the run blocking department. Yeah. I feel. I
0: feel like. I feel like Lucas has the play strength, and he has the like the 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 meanness to him, to be good at run blocking. Like he had some like highlight level run blocks this year, right? But obviously, like the, the consistency wasn't there. The floor wasn't there. I feel like it's just kind of, you know, he needs more time in the scheme, and then it's just a rookie needs to go from year one to year two, you know.
1: Right, like his um, big thing, I think, is like. It's how how do you block uh, like a stud defensive end out? who's playing wide on you. I think that was the main thing.
0: Yeah. Like I think he has the flexibility to get low, to get under guys, because obviously when you're that tall, that's a natural disadvantage when you're trying to run block. Um, But like, you know, when he when leverage isn't a problem, when he's like comboing on the backside, like a three technique or even a four. He'll send a guy flying every once in a while so it just goes to show that once he kind of cleans up the stuff that he needs to clean up um like he'll be able to dig out like four techniques and stuff like that and, and reliably stay leveraged on five techniques you know on zone away you know um uh th- things like that um um because obviously like zo- like the the back side of zone is a lot more important for the tackle than the front side of zone especially how they block it um front side of zone is still important obviously but you know you're trying to get like that wash so the the cutback is as vertical as possible um for the for the uh for the running back so um yeah like that will come in time that said to to kind of circle back to walker some of walker's cutbacks this year the the way how aggressive his how aggressively bent his angles are were insane like his ability to cut some of those back and, and still get like you know, maintain his speed are just incredible. Yeah. Um.
1: And crazy, crazy runs. And really, the, the in the rushing game, I think P. Carroll was very aware of that being a problem for them, and uh, we'll, we'll focus a lot on Gino Smith, but the fact that you know they started trying to really get the run game going because they weren't running it to the the level that they wanted to like frequency wise but that all stems from being able to do it effectively enough to justify you know doing it a lot like uh it's kind of a chicken or the egg before the egg thing like that kind of yeah dilemma of you know are you you know how how much do you have to run to actually get good at it like what what point does it become diminishing returns because it's so inefficient uh but in that Kansas city game, they really did start going for it. And the Fortune ers game as well. Mm. Uh, and and Walker did kind of solve some of his issues, but still raw. Uh, so, the, so the second year of him is an exciting thing. And yeah. obviously if Penny returns, that is up in the air, I think, you know, Seattle probably likes what he brings when he's healthy. It's just, can he stay healthy? That's a question mark. Right. I can't uh,
0: imagine he'll have a market. You know, no, which is no. unfortunate for unfortunate, him, but...
1: very unfortunate, yeah. So, kind of encompassing the run, the run game I hadn't realized the success rate was that bad, but uh, so that's that's interesting. Uh, now, encompassing this is third down numbers. Now, Pete P- Carroll always speaks about third down numbers, is as in you want to be kind of over the 50% mark. Now, in that the first 12 games of the season, so weeks one to 13 in six of 12 games, Seattle was 50% or better in third down conversion rate. Uh, they converted out of all the third downs they faced, they converted forty-two percent So they still had down games like mm-hmm. week two, they were two of seven uh, week five. They went one of nine uh, week eight. They went three of 13 um, week 11, one of nine week 12 or week 13, sorry, three of nine. So they still had down games, but overall 43%, and they had six games where they're 50% or better of the 12. Weeks 14 to 18, <laughs> Seattle, w- when, uh, from those five games, Seattle had zero games where they were 50% or better in third down conversion rate. Um, They converted, out of all the third downs they faced, only 30.2% of them, so they lost sort of... uh. 13 percent um and that really showed up in in the run game uh the the run game was part of that problem i you know i should have looked up how the distance of third downs changed because it felt like they were in worse more clear pass uh downs Mm -hmm. and distances um so when you look at the fact that gino is as a you know the passing offense the overall offense suffered I think, you know, obviously that is then reflected in third downs. Um, and if you don't convert third downs, then you have less opportunities. Um, and they just they just stop converting third downs. Yeah, yeah. Now, Gino Griff, what, like, his regression, I, I was trying to explore why it happened. So, you know, teams ran slightly, I, I wondered if maybe it was a cover one, cover three, middle field closed issue because Gino was mm-hmm. worse against that. So in that one weeks one to 13 stretch where um, the offence was doing really well, uh, especially passing the football and just overall efficiency-wise, Gino was still just 22nd in points earned per play versus middle field closed, whereas against uh, cover two, cover four, and cover six zone, he was fourth in points earned per play. Um that was very similar in um, in the week's 14 to 18 stretch. He was 20th in points center play versus cover one and cover three, and fourth in points center play versus cover two, cover four, cover six. So, And he actually faced slightly less middle-field close coverage in that stretch. So that's not the reason for his struggle. It mm-hmm. wasn't a play-action or non-play-action deal either. So why, why the regression do you you put it all on the past protection because that's
0: one thing right so i so i think the answer for like okay why are the numbers are what they are why do the numbers fall when when i say this or when i've said it on twitter people think i'm making excuses for gino to me it's the opposite i feel like we get we got valuable information about the the spectrum or the the like the, the floor and the ceiling with gino was clearly defined this game Uh, or this past season so like like to me it's just information like i i think that gino was remarkably consistent in his process and what he could control um throughout the whole year and like the rest was just a reflection of like how like what 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 was the potential the offense um of of like the potential the offense then was determined by like the play going on around him and he was going to essentially get the most out of what was available but then also reveal how lackluster things are around him if things are lackluster around him at the same time so like yeah so so the his statistical regression it's the he loses his pass catchers tyler lockett isn't 100 healthy even in games he's suiting up like that's reflected by like like they didn't play him very many snaps some of them they didn't throw the ball to him a lot wasn't getting open you know they lose Marquise Goodwin. good they lose will disley like those things add up um, and then the blocking kind of plummets for a lot of those games. Um,
1: yeah, on, on on the injuries, uh, Goodwin, he missed week nine against the Arizona Cardinals, was limited week 10 in Munich. He was playing through banged-up knee injury, uh, battled a hand-and-wrist injury. He then re-injured that wrist and also dislocated his shoulder in Kansas City, so missed week 17, 18, and then the wild card game. it yeah. broke his finger in week 15, so missed week 16. And then Will Disley landed on IR with a foot injury missing weeks 17, 18 in the wild card game.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, like, I don't think his play intrinsically struggled. So, or rather, I don't think he got, he became intrinsically worse. So, like, the the first 49ers game, if that game occurred in that last third of the season or whatever, the last five, six weeks of the season, no one would have batted an eye, right? the only reason why that game occurred was because they played a team that they were greatly outmatched by. And he had a good game before that week and he had a good game after that week. So really, I feel like that, that stretch of the toward the season is just purely coincidental that all those games happen to occur like one after the other. And even then that said, like, you can watch the tape against the jets. Like he was good against the jets. He was, he was good against the chiefs. Um,
1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
0: Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com But, like, there's only so much that you can execute there. The games that really concern you, at least concern me, like that Panthers game, because I thought the protection played well that game, of that stretch, fairly well anyway. Enough to where if Gino was on his stuff, he would have been a lot better but like for the most part that game in particular i didn't even see like bad process like with the exception of him getting risky with that you know he thought he had a free play interception like that was bad but that was just more like the ball was dying on him and that was a concern like is his arm strength waning over the course of a season is it Well, he was dealing with bit, the he had a, he shoulder.
1: Was with a yeah. shoulder injury wasn't he yeah he was, he listed was. on the injury report so that as a potential explanation makes sense given that the following weeks you didn't see the ball die as it did in that game.
0: Right. Right. Agreed. And then the other game that, that concerned me was uh was the um the the Rams game. Cause that was, you know, things around him were good enough that the second Rams game were good enough. And he was just making like bad decisions. So like that's a that's just a game where I'm like, okay, bad quarterback play. Um, but yeah. then the other, the other games in that stretch, like we said, like the Jets game, the Chiefs game, even the that second 49ers game, uh, to me, that's like, yeah, there were some bad plays cropping up, but when he like, like the turnover worthy throws, there's an uptick of that. And even like that Raiders game, which I don't include in the sample, like the last five weeks, I thought he was good in the Raiders game, but the, the influx of, of turnover worthy plays that occurred and stuff most of them are happening those turnover worthy throws are happening like out of structure and so he was finding himself out of structure more often and that was purely a direct correlation with or a direct um that directly followed from the protection around him breaking down or the downfield picture breaking down because the receiver talent isn't there so to me the answer is well is Geno going to throw a bunch of interceptions next year? My only answer is is the protection going to be bad again? Now, that's not a defensive Geno. That's me saying there's a talent ceiling there. You can take you can take other quarterback. There might be some quarterbacks that will be able to still push the ball and execute with that level of protection. But there's very few of them. But at the same time though, you're, the flip side of that my statement is well, if Gino's only as good as his supporting cast, then what does that say about Gino? I mean, I don't I don't agree with that that statement either, though, because as you inc- as you improve the supporting cast around him, there can be diminishing returns from your quarterback. I feel if you give Gino elite protection, for example, for the sake of discussion, if you give him elite protection, he'll get everything out of that elite protection. Whereas the next quarterback may not. They might leave stuff on the table. I don't think Gino will. But if you give Gino protection that dips below a certain threshold of functional functional functionality is that a word
1: yeah that that dips
0: below then he may not be able to give you anything whereas maybe the next quarterback could but then that same quarterback may not be able to get everything out of elite protection that gino could so to me there are trade-offs it's skill set um my view is you know basically like the proposition for the 2023 seahawks offense is what is our like we have, you know, we have what it could be, which is the, that first 13 weeks, right? And then we have what it also could be like in the other direction, the last five or six weeks. As far as what we can expect for 2023, that question really is just a function of what does the offensive line play look like for the full course of the season? Then everything else will follow because in the good games and the bad games this year, I thought Gino was rock solid consistent, like in terms of the good and bad, like what was innate to the quarterback play. And everything else just followed from what was going on around him. So again, like that if that first 49ers game happened in the the you know the latter third of the season, it would have fit right in there. If if one of those if that Chiefs game occurred in the earlier part of the season, it would have been the exact same thing, even in the middle of that hot streak that he had. So I feel like everything that we saw was real, like none of it was fake. All of it was real. And the rest is circumstantial as far as not projecting Gino, but like projecting the offense because it's a team sport, you know? Yeah. So
1: so on the protection, what I found interesting was Sports Info Solutions had in the weeks one to 13 period, they had uh, Gino at a 12th in pressure percentage. And then in weeks 14 to 18, that was still 12th in pressure percentage. So their pressure numbers didn't show pressure on Gino uh, rising. However, in ESPN's uh, team pass block win rate metric, just before week 13, Seattle was tied for fifth best in the NFL in that metric, but they finished the season eighth. So they dipped down a bit uh, during that kind of period. And I think it is more what you were sort of saying, Griffith. It's, uh, it's circumstantial. It, it reflects the what was going on around Gino. It reflects um, right. certain things which the, these metrics aren't uh, including, like right. bad situations. Um, and, and yeah, and it it has it does prove what Gino is, which is like a. a a pocket navigator who um yeah he's not gonna he's not gonna reliably extend plays um
0: and like schematically during that the good stretch he was not having his hand held schematically he was not he was not being he was catered to in some senses like hey this is what you're good at go do what you're good at but like it was the offense saying like we want to get stuff out of you not we need to protect you right right like it's Five step, seven step dropbacks. Like, like even during um, even during the uh, that latter third of the season, when things are kind of getting out of control, there were drives where they had to like they kind of turtled up schematically a little bit. Like it kind of reinforced itself, you know, like in a bad way. There were some drives where it was like do or die. Like we have to go score now, and so they would open up the offense to go. Well, we hope. We hope the five-year yep. protection can live up. Like, they're getting into seven-step drop concepts, so, like, a five-step drop from gun And his numbers and seven-step drops over that that last five, six weeks, five, six weeks of the season was still top five in the league. And that's, like, pure quarterbacking. That's, you know. Now, some of it garbage time, I mean, maybe. But, but like, his numbers in the fourth quarter, for example, in non-garbage time, even during the last third of the season, was still, like, eighth or something. So I mean he was he was still he was still playing quarterback during that stretch. Um, so, like here the other thing like the first thirteen weeks of the season his his EPA numbers on non-play action passes and also removing quick game was like first in the league or like his EPA was third and then his success rate was first. I mean he was it was pure quarterbacking and and we'll get into this more. But there there are components to the offense that Waldron didn't install that I think he wants to and that we're going to see more um, of uh, next year uh, that will t- you know, depend on uh receiver skill set makeup slash tight end. But
1: yeah. yeah. And I think throughout the season we did see like a kind of a schematic dilemma between like how often do you want to leave the tackles exposed? Like how often do you want to try and give the tackles help? And them actually coming out and saying, you know, we don't want to, we want to try and limit the amount of one on ones they have out there because they're rookies and they're kind of learning on the job and they're playing against, like, say, a Nick Bosa. Um, And it's stuff that in the second year of those tackles, you'd hope that you don't have to do as often. You obviously Mm. scheme matchups, but you don't have to be as cautious. You, You need to see, uh, In improvement, and often tackles take that leap in the second year, right? Right. So, uh, just to emphasize the, I've just seen a good number, to emphasize the kind of run heavier nature of the offense in the uh, weeks 16 to 19, uh, Mm -hmm. you've put here that their early down pass rate went from being the fifth highest in the league but uh week 16 to 19 it was uh 20th in the league so they they started trying to run the ball more and and trying to establish the run if you like because they needed it um
0: they 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 had every reason to one like we talked about it in this season like the run blocking was not good and they needed to get reps in like so like they went from because their gun running was pure like constraint oriented runs right Like the early and middle parts of the season it was more like in gun we're going to be a pass team and then we're going to have these complementary runs to take advantage of bad fronts that we can check into and then as the season went on like their knee like okay we actually can't run the ball so we need to install like a base gun run and that's also what walker was used to at msu right so like they install like just straight up inside zone like going back to the basics And then also injuries and then the protection was so poor like they had every reason to commit to the run and sure enough it actually they got better at it marginally they had some really good games though right um and walker needed it like walker needed those reps not just for this year but like for his rookie contract sake you know um for the duration of his rookie contract so
1: yeah and i think You know, the uh, turnover-worthy play thing is is interesting. Like, over the uh, final eight games of the season, uh, you know, through seven inceptions, which is fifth most in the NFL, and Pro Football Focus had him throwing a league-worst 17 uh, turnover-worthy throws, suggesting that that number could have been higher. Now, in the top 10 of quarterbacks passing... 80.6% of their turnover-worthy plays resulted in actual turnovers. But in Gino Smith's case, only 48% of his turnover-worthy plays actually resulted in interception, suggesting, again, that he got lucky. How do you feel about that as a metric? Because I think throughout the season, we saw turnover-worthy plays from Gino, but I felt most of them were... Maybe a bit too close than you'd like, but most of them were him trying to. He wasn't trying to. You never try and throw a pick, but it wasn't necessarily a bad decision. It was actually a good decision to try and get out of uh, uh, pressure. You know, throw the ball away, get rid of a dead play. Uh, I and then tight window throws. I felt were really good tight window throws. I felt he had the arm to make that happen. He'd read the play right. It was a good decision. Um, There was like one or two from poor pressing, but. I, I i probably in my opinion with turnover the worthy plays would disagree with some of the ones that have been charted as turnover worthy i also think Gina has a style and a history that le you know uh it could lead to some unavoidable like biases in 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 grading that say compared to like a, a quarterback who you've seen for years make the right decisions like i felt his decision making again when we talk about process I feel in this area too it was good but Drift that is still noteworthy the 40 like how do you feel about it as a as a metric overall
0: uh I mean it is a it is a it is inherently subjective but I'm you know you'd hope that the, the people that are measuring that are are trying to be consistent in how they're applying their subjectivity right to each each and every quarterback um but so i mean like the, the 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 like taking it at face value it's the 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 percentage of turnover worthy throws does increase significantly the last 5 6 weeks of the season uh, but then like it's it's he's like dead average the first 13 weeks so to me it's like the the they, proof
1: they, of what you've been talking about right Right.
0: Like, I feel like it's just, it's, yeah, like you're going to get into that world with Gino when the picture around him breaks down that much. But if the picture breaks down around him that much, you're not going to have a good offense anyway. So yeah. Like limit how bad it is. Sure. But to me, it's like the, those turnover worthy throws, very few of them occurred in the pocket and he tries to get everything he can out of the pocket before he bails. Like the, the sack rate increased, um now on early downs it was Sacre. it was like top five in the league for the first 13 weeks of the season and then even on early downs that 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 last stretch he's still middle of the pack so like like his his quarterback behavior changes on third down because that's when you know he won't abort like he won't on on, on third downs he won't abort he's so like okay well our last chance i'm going to try to make something happen if something isn't there but very Rarely were his sacks him turning down something downfield. It was the alternative, is okay, maybe throw it away or maybe take off differently if you're trying to extend with your legs, right? But it's not like he's leaving offense on the table. Um, it's more like how do you how do you mitigate and manage how negative this play is about to be, you know? Um,
1: and again, that's that's what we when we talk about Gino's process remaining intact right this is exactly the sort of stuff we mean like
0: right right i mean yeah it's it's um i really i've said it like three times but i really feel like that first 49ers game is just kind of like the the proof of this because that again that occurred right after the broncos game and occurred right before was it the falcons game where he was really good in both of those games and gino didn't change the rest was just an environment that he can access his skills in um and the rest followed so but yeah, so yeah, did he get lucky? I'm sure he did. But I feel like I feel like a lot of those throws are either th- they're they're not turnover worthy throws. A lot of them, they're definitely pass breakup worthy throws. Like yeah, we were saying like, at the time
1: if, of them, like in a vacuum, like in a one play sample, we were saying like it's a you know it's a it's a risk you can take because you've made it, you've anticipated it at the right time. You you know you've thrown it hard enough. You've done it when the defender's back turn. Like, you'd if it was picked, you'd almost be like, "Well, that's almost unfortunate." An
0: insane, an insane play by the defender. A lot right. of them now. It's in that Gino's—he's a, a gunslinger. He's, but he's a gunslinger that isn't doing stupid stuff though. Like he knows what he's looking at. There are a couple of them where he kind of throws almost with too much trust in the receiver, or he's a he's a tick late. But again, like most of these are coming out of the pocket, and if not out of the pocket, out of structure. So to me, it's it's allow the structure to be workable enough because Geno can still overcome bad structure. You just can't overcome near inoperable structure. Some quarterbacks can. So I'm not saying, like, there aren't quarterbacks that exist. Like, that's why he's not the best quarterback in the league. You know, there's a handful of guys you're going to take over him, of course, and that's why, because they can do that. But you can still, again, it's a team sport they already have put on paper that they have the capacity Gino himself has the capacity to be part of a top five offense, to, to be the quarterback of a top five offense. Everything else is around him. You can't say that about, you know, X amount of QBs, right? There's only a few, like you can be a, the eighth best quarterback in the league and be the quarterback for the third best offense of the league. Right. For example, to, to prove a point, right? Like that's possible. Like Gino, like, Geno Smith is better than Jared Goff, and Jared Goff is on the second best offense in football, if not the first best offense. First, first. So, like they that's right there. Um, you you take you would have taken fourteen quarterbacks over Jared Goff that year in all likelihood. Um, so
1: yeah. So it has been pointed out by Nuke USC that is not a very Pete Carroll username. Uh, but it's a good point Gino uh, did have nine fumbles including that playoff game and the playoff game was, as I mentioned that was a kind of a crucial moment I was in Munich when he bizarrely fumbled on a fairly similar play to the the playoff game where it was like uh, confusion over kind of a run play in the red zone big moments where you don't want to cough the football up I think the fumble thing is the the big thing I'd uh, ding at him for and what needs to be better but there's some of this stuff, I, and I think the fumble thing is one thing. Fumbles are kind of random. Uh, there's stuff you can do to protect yourself against them. I don't think Gino has a, necessarily a mechanical issue. He doesn't have tiny hands. Like, it's not it's not that. But because it's a one-season sample size, you know, who's to say next year he doesn't fumble the ball a single time? Like, we just don't know. Like until, <laughs> It wasn't a problem at West Virginia. So, yeah. <laughs> like... Yeah. I I I don't know I
0: I mean just how about you just don't call stick draw we I mean, don't have to worry about it
1: yeah don't call stick draw there we go um although you know you could because Gino is quite no a I, I love I love that yeah. Play, yeah, actually yeah, it's, it's great player. for them I just, so like, you just you don't know. fumble the ball yeah But yeah you you are correct New USC uh so sort of the last thing on Gino is uh uh you know sack presented you mentioned that in Weeks 1 to 13, it, he was it was 15th in sack percentage. Weeks 14 to 18, he was 7th, which um, sacks are largely a quarterback stat. But I do think this is kind of a, I Again, should have gone into it a bit more, but I think that's more a case of longer third downs and trying to make stuff happen in those instances which we kind of spoke about. Um, do you agree with that?
0: Yeah, no, I agree.
1: Now... The other thing, average throw depth. Weeks 1 to 13, the average throw depth was uh, 23rd. So not not chucking the ball down the field. Weeks 14 to 18, Gino was 13th in average throw depth. So that went up, which is interesting. And again, how much of that is trying to make stuff happen in, t- in longer situations is a, an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Um I think also DK, Metcalf, you sort of have to try and find ways to get him the football, and vertically is the option there. Um, yeah, that's an interesting one. And what that adds true true numbers, I'm not so sure, because as I've just said, like the rates of co- coverage they faced didn't really change and mm-hmm. gino's like performances against it didn't really change much either so
0: yeah also i wonder um how much that middle of the field close figure is a function of third down versus early down
1: yeah that's that's um, what i'd like to look at
0: yeah yeah like like well, what are the early down versus third down splits versus cover three and cover one it would be something to be interested in looking at well I remember, and then, and then also with a four-man rush versus a five-man rush six-man rush you know yeah because that could just be like a function of like of like blitz numbers you know
1: oh definitely yeah which is
0: which can be a quarterback thing can also be a team thing
1: yeah yeah so finally uh accuracy wise uh sports info solutions have a catchable percentage and an on-target percentage again there's an element of subjectiveness to that Weeks 1 to 13, they had Gino second in catchable percentage out of 38 eligible quarterbacks. I did a minimum of 100 throws, and first in on-target percentage. Yet in weeks 14 to 18, Gino was 20th in SIS's catchable percentage out of uh, 27 eligible quarterbacks, minimum of 75 uh, throws, and just 23rd in on-target percentage. Now, did you see his accuracy noticeably dip?
0: um when he was throwing on platform really no uh the the, the panthers game maybe uh but like even even that uh that rams game the second rams game when he was on platform he was doing what he always did uh there weren't a lot of opportunities there but like that jets game with some of the ball placement he made was insane like insane stuff um the the Chiefs game, he was he's had some good throws. So I mean like I, I just didn't see like him I didn't see what made Gino Gino like fall apart. It was just he can't manage some situations, you know. Um yeah. yeah. So it, it's a good sign that like the arm was still there during that stretch when it when it was um when there was room to make a good play, you know.
1: Yeah, I felt, I don't know, I, I I need to go back and watch, but I felt a big thing that happened, like, you remember that Jets game where they go uh, three for 11 on third down? Obviously, the Jets kicked uh, Seattle's butt up front uh, in a run in the pass game. But I felt that game was a case of, like, receivers just not getting it done, like, guys not making catches that they should and also guys like not completing their routes like Dallas ran a weird route I feel you know even th- that's obviously a quarterback metric in catchable percentage on target percentage maybe if guys are running the wrong routes perhaps not but like I also feel you know as we spoke about receiver injuries receiver regression um that you know that's a factor as well which shouldn't be underplayed but and yeah it's got to be that's got to be off-platform stuff more trying to make things happen yeah Um, yeah like
0: like the whole thing with Gino is you want him creating you want him having to create late in the snap because that means he's probably in more control if he's creating early he probably it's it's that's where that's where he gets into the realm of something bad can happen right
1: think about but, all of his uh impressive improvisation plays early in the season they are he's had a pocket you know for every reason the play's not there but then he's moving up yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah like like run and pass right like it's it's I mean he's he's uh when, when the situation is manageable he's a very good improviser and he doesn't do too much um Like that second 49ers game, though, he found like early pressure frequently. And so then, like, yeah, okay, you don't fault him for that, but then you can fault him for the decision he makes thereafter. It's like, why are you still playing with the same process? Like, you can make every throw. Like, it's not a bad decision and that you're reading the defense wrong. It's a bad decision and that you can't think you can get that throw off right there, you know? So, how do you manage that situation? Now, can he get innately better at that? Maybe. I would just more like to preempt the circumstances where he might go into that, that that line of play, you know? That's where, I mean, really the rookies just going from year one to year two might be enough to do it, but that's where, you, you know, we'll talk about it. That's where you can improve, you know, one or both center right guard spots, you know?
1: Yeah. So conceptually, Griff, this was a pretty different offense to what we saw with Russell Wilson, which is to be, you know, they're completely different players, so it makes sense. Uh, and you, you've you highlighted uh, drop-back type as a way of illustrating that.
0: I think, yeah, the, the biggest thing that stands out now is that they have a more beefed-up drop-back game. Um, it's kind of like they're meat and potatoes. So their, their quick game usage got... Um, like cut down by like a third and then they replaced that with more five-step drop concepts so from gun the quarterback's taking only three steps but a a gun three drop is a five-step drop because that's analogous to taking five drops from the under center and then like you know if quick game is three-step historically that's three steps from under center but from gun it's like a one-step drop kind of um but yeah so they had more more deeper drop meat and potato of their offense um and like the, the general nature of it was kind of si- started off anyway similar to the McVeigh Rams where you know they spend roughly 40 percent of their total snaps in gun and they're passing the ball at an extremely high rate in shotgun and then when they go into under center um you know it's all just it's either outside zone or outside or wide zone or wide zone action play action pass right pocket or boot um and that's kind of like the general beats that waldron had like that was the main structure but they were a little bit different in that they um well there, there were two main differences they, they were more of a normal split team they didn't use tight splits as much and that followed from not having like instead of having like three locket types they really only had one locket type and they wanted to ha- they thought maybe they had an escridge um but they clearly didn't and then because he got hurt and then goodwin being a veteran like you're not leaning all the way into that so they had to more accommodate dk as a result of that um lean more into making him work formationally with the offense so the splits was a was a big thing and then that matters because then from that follows like the menu of plays um Still Waldron, still McVeigh-ish, but definitely different. But then the other main difference, aside from splits, was that um, the use of pistol. So that was where you know pistol when they're the quarterbacks in shotgun, but then the running backs behind him. Because of that, you're liable to run wide zone from that from that um, formation or backfield set. So if you do that, the defenses know that, then you're able to run essentially you know outside zone play action or under center play action concepts from shotgun um, but then from there then we talked about this over the course of the season if you catch the defense in a personnel package and a call that seems suited for defending outside zone and outside zone play action or wide zone wide zone play action passes then that means because by virtue of being a shotgun, you can you can either check into a play or just call a different play that is more like your true dropback shotgun pass. So, the way I characterized Waldron for the whole course of the season was like the the cool stuff he did weren't necessarily plays like cool play design, so much as it was manipulating personnel packages, manipulating the defense, and then having the balance to run almost anything you what you do run whenever you want so like becoming tendency proof and being incredibly balanced like getting picking up almost free yards just by alignment really when when the play design isn't anything novel you know
1: do you think he ran out of ideas like that and do you think that's why the offense uh started to struggle
0: you know i i think so like the main problem with their 11 personnel was that yeah you've got two guys that are target sponges and really good but they're very specific skill sets because like lockett didn't want to take hits anymore so you couldn't run as much over the middle stuff with him and then dk is should pretty much only be a perimeter guy right he got better at some things but like you can't he's not robert woods he's not cooper cup he's not brandon cooks he's not even sammy Watkins in terms of style right so and i mentioned all all those guys are rams receivers obviously so the fact that they didn't have the third guy in their 11 personnel package that could kind of marry dk and tyler a little bit meant that Waldron was kind of i mean he's fantastic again that he had dk and tyler but he couldn't quite conceptually do the things that he wanted like you know under center tight split you'd like to have someone be interchangeable with locket so that anyone could be running the inbreaker, anyone then could be running the outbreaker. You can run the same play but reverse it, and the formation could be identical, you know, and the defense doesn't know who's coming from where. So that whole, like, you know, that multiplying factor you have of the defense not knowing, like, you might know what the play is, but you don't know who's running what. Like, he didn't have that factor element to his defense. That was because he didn't really have the locket mirror. So then that meant okay to offset, he kind of he kind of recreated that through his 12 personnel usage. Um, and that was the only way he could reduce the formation down. That was also like he ran, so like he ran like that play action why shot shallow, right? He ran that like seven, eight times this year. That effectively like like when, D, when Gino hit those, those quick hitting play action crossers to Fan or Disney. I think one time to Colby, that effectively replaced their strike play, their drift play, the, the play action dig to the receiver.
1: Pop, that linebacker or, or outside linebacker. Yeah.
0: Right. And it's still a good play, but like you that goes for eight to 10 yards. Whereas the X, the, the hitting it to the X or the Z and a true speed cut dig can be a minimum of 12. And if you catch that thing in stride, you might be gone. Like the amount of times Cooper Cup or Robert Woods caught that ball and got another 10 yards of yak was you know you're just you're 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 gashing the the defense up the middle like that so he couldn't really do that the way he wanted to and mm. i thought he did a great job of using 12 personnel especially on the boot game and 13 personnel but i feel like he's wanting i feel like he wants another locket which you can get this draft or close enough to where like the usage is similar similar skill set, yeah Right. I mean, and maybe not even the way that Lockett's been historically used, but you can imagine peak Lockett in the Rams offense just doing pure cup wood stuff, right? Like he could have done that. Like you wouldn't see as many big posts, as many big overs, but you know, a lot, well, maybe the overs, but more digs, more, more outs, stuff like that. Um, But like Lockett has been more of a big game hunter the way they've used him. But you can imagine Lockett could have been used that way. And my hunch is that if they had peak Brandon Cooks or peak Robert Woods, they would have used Lockett. More in that direction because it pulls Lockett into the formation more, it pulls him into those plays more because you can run, you can get into that interchangeability. Um, so it's kind of like they don't just need that third target for that player's individual production, but there's like a systemic effect of how they would structure their offense entirely. And I and Waldron couldn't really get into that, so he got way more vertical in part because not because he had to, because he got to, because Gino can actually go go yard and you have dk metcalf and tyler lockett can go yard so um
1: yeah and again that's that's the average throw depth increasing uh as the year progressed mm -hmm. uh and you know you know the reliance on 12 personnel then when will diskey gets hurt misses 16 17 18 meet misses two games two games anyway when he gets hurt that's a problem because as much as you love your 12 personnel looks colby parkinson ain't as good a blocker as will disley and Fant is fine but you sort of lose the versatility that you had in the package uh right
0: right so, I, I, uh, go ahead
1: no continue
0: I was just gonna say, I hope they don't abandon pistol. I hope it be. Hope it remains a feature. And they did kind of abandon it over the course of the season. Like it was, it was anywhere between ten and twenty five percent of their snaps on early downs. The first, you know, when it died was probably like a week eleven or twelve. Um, but then it would come back for a couple of games. But then they pretty much ditched it. Uh. The last four weeks of the season, I think that was just you know injuries breaking the camels back. Like they kind of had to do other things. Um, so
1: I asked but, uh, I asked Dino you know, about that in Germany. Yeah, he he said he literally said it it um lets us hide some of our run plays and pass plays. <laughs> it yeah, gives just different um, Which gives is us it. different options.
0: Which is it? Yeah, it's it, it's a confluence of. Um,
1: and then he mentioned how rather than gun, where the back's offset pistol, it's in the dot, so that it hides that as well. Yep, yep, but um, yeah, I guess they just ran out of bullets, and, and they do need that guy who can go over the middle, like and and so, in that sense, yeah. was Fant slightly disappointing because obviously he tested and plays incredibly athletically, but. You know when they dialed stuff up for him, it just didn't hit for a variety of reasons.
0: He's got all the traits; he just doesn't have the skill set. Like he's not I a mean, player. He's yeah. He, I mean, he's he's a. I think he is a very good tight end too to have, and the scheme needs a second tight end that is electric. But really, like ideally, ideally, like they could just swap out Disney for an elite wide tight end, and that would be sick. You know, like, and that could be that could, they could recommit to the whole. Like, you know, the eleven personnel usage would remain the same. The twelve personnel usage would remain the same, but the twelve personnel would just be better, and you could do more things in it. Um, and spend the same amount of time in it, and just let Noah Fant be your, you know, your Johnu Smith, your, your, your Gerald Everett guy. You know, where it's it's yards after the catch. You can do occasional things with him downfield, but like getting a wide tight end there, you can just win routes at the intermediate, the second level, like in the drop back game and under center, you know, like you can just, um, like he effectively be your 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 de facto slot receiver. They could go that direction if they want. Like this is the draft where they can go get their third guy that is capable of handling 100 targets efficiently. They could get that guy at the tight end position. That would mean Waldron would be doing things he hasn't really done yet before. Like he already has never done this exactly identically before the, the way he used 12 personnel. I mean, maybe he was part of one of those Patriots teams that did, right? Um, like going way back when he was with the Patriots and he was just an assistant, like a quality control assistant, like not even like working with the position group. So I mean, and like you know, it's still fairly universal football stuff. It's not like he's never seen it before. Um, but like, you know, worked with it this much, like if they want to go get whoever you like—Mayor Musgrave, Kincaid—even to go be the guy that, as a rookie, gets you 80 targets, and then year two, year three is looking at 100 plus targets, you know, and and to do that out of the tight end position, they can, Um, and that could be pretty exciting. Like Gino loves throwing to tight ends; like some of his best plays, even going back to the Jets, were like no-name tight ends, like guys you've never heard of, but he just loves the position. He likes throwing. That's what's so funny. He he loves going over the middle. Like that's and arguably and they still went over the middle more this year than they ever have. Except yeah, with the exception that, of Jimmy Graham, but because Jimmy's Jimmy, right?
1: No, but that's a big thing to like to talk about. The fact that right. targets inside the numbers were so much higher. Like we it became a meme that Russ wouldn't throw like a dig route or wouldn't throw inside the numbers. But like Gina really did prove that a point that like yeah, you can. That's a possible thing, in it when you're playing quarterback in Seahawks Blue, like,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So, I think that's a pretty comprehensive roundup. The fact that you know there were concepts which, you know, actual digs on the backside of stuff and like uh, levels in that in that way. Um, oh yeah, you've put about that. You've, uh, yeah. Yeah, you've put that
0: in the notes very good yeah uh, no go ahead go ahead
1: no go ahead say something
0: well an- another feature of the offense that is new is that like even when they do run quick game like they run less of it right but when they do run quick game they've attached like the ability to access a second level with it which is always yeah. big like when they go three by two empty three receivers on one side two receivers on the back side, the front side will be like stick or spacing something like that then the backside will be like they'll attach dig routes, like a high low. Uh, like the number two receiver will run a hitch, the number one receiver will run a tight ty- or a dig route, or they'll run like a, a cross followed by like a dig route, or like a cross followed by like a little five yard in, or they'll run like a, like a double dig or kind of almost like a dagger almost. Um, and like he's hitting those, and even if he isn't hitting it, he's progressing to it, and the receiver wasn't open like on some of those and that's but like that's another thing to identify and be like there's so much more meat on the bone here that if they do get that third guy and each side of the formation has a dude like Gino will absolutely take full advantage of, of it it's just sometimes it wasn't there like as good as Marquis Goodwin was like everyone really appreciated Goodwin this year when he played he's still not that guy like even at his best he's not that guy like, there's the occasional like backside digs three by two empty they're running like stick and then dig on the backside, and gino's getting to the back side of it and it's like to the field and and that dig isn't there but gino wants to throw it he wants to throw it but it's not there so it, like you 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 insert in someone that knows what they're doing even, in marquis goodwin spot brandon cooks and like who knows man who knows
1: even uh kade johnson when he got some action like gino's and it's do or die time gino's trying to find him in these kind of windows uh and obviously kate yeah. doesn't yeah. know what he's doing out there yeah. really but like you see the yeah. potential of you know if someone did know what they're doing um yeah like a tertiary I mean, a de- <laughs> true tertiary target
0: yeah if Derek young wants to turn into debo samuel you can go run all that stuff with him um could happen crazier things have happened
1: there you it's, go so yeah. yeah come combine i'll be looking at uh guys who are five at ten 190 pounds and ran like a six seven six six three cone <laughs> six five maybe although the three cone seems to have died in recent years like yeah do it what was
0: because uh, they know that can if you don't run a three cone I'll just assume you you wouldn't have ran a good one
1: so true. And, and, and John Schneider, Griff, has a new radio show on Thursdays on Seattle Sports, Wyman and Bob. Wyman and Bob. And uh, he said how when he was with the Packers, uh, he had got them a seventh-round pick via trade of someone, and he asked Ted Thompson if he could pick that seventh-rounder, and Ted Thompson was like, yes, yes. And then he said to Ted Thompson that he wanted to draft Julian Edelman, and Thompson said, no, nah, I was just kidding with you, man. We're not going to let you pick a guy. Uh, and so they took Brad Jones. but uh, Doug Baldwin is like a really similar athletic profile to Julian Edelman. yeah. And so then, so basically we do need to find that kind of player
0: right right and and John is always looking for his next devalued undervalued slot receiver right Which like was I mean sewer, but
1: he was one hundred and seventy eight pounds and yeah. he hurt his hamstring in the first forty yard dash and he unfortunately got unlucky of injuries during his NFL career
0: and I think we know that John secretly he'd never say it but he's secretly hoping Cade is that too um and like he's hes name dropped him a couple of times too like he he's trying to manifest without overhyping him he's hes hyped remember.
1: up Tariq Young as well whereas yeah. he's a bit bigger but yeah um yeah. The other thing which came out of that interview, Griff, is Schneider said, we've had good talks so far on the Gino Smith contract negotiations. He said, we're in it, just trying to figure out what's best. We will do what's right. He kind of added that we will do what's right in at the end, and he was rambling. So, I mean, to me, again, it's another sign that Gino will be a Seahawks quarterback, whatever, will just, you know, it's sort of like, you know, just trying to figure out what's best, to me that's you know gino's seeing what he's worth elsewhere they'll get the numbers right so he's respectful and they'll make it happen in whatever way there's ways of structuring things you know where, where do you put the guarantees how would you make this person happy etc etc but uh yeah uh n- par for the course so far it sounds like it'll get done
0: yeah yeah. um i don't think i mean on that note, then the natural question is: Are would they even touch quarterback in the first round? I can't see that.
1: Well, we have we have quarterbacks to talk about next week. We'll do uh, Jalen Carter, Will Anderson chatter, and we could we could do quarterbacks next week. Do you want to do that, or do yeah. you want to do the special teams review?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, special teams. Yeah. Um, wait, did did Van Dyke declare?
1: Van Van Dyke.
0: Tyler Van Dyke. Is he going back? I don't even know.
1: I don't think he declared.
0: Okay. Because he he was the only guy that I can imagine will even that they would be into that would make it to the second or third round where they'd start to think about taking a quarterback after having paid Gino. Uh
1: I I thought he was really young. I thought he was next year.
0: Oh, is he? Okay. But I don't no, even
1: know. No, I could be wrong. I mean like, to be wrong.
0: In a perfect world, Richardson... No, yeah, he, is,
1: he could have declared, but he's returning.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah. in a perfect world, Richardson should go, like, in the third round. And he'd be the guy that would be really funded. Like, I you'd you, you pay Gino and take Richardson in the third round, but the hype machine, he's going to go in the top half of the first of this ray. Well,
1: we did, at one point, think the same would happen with uh, Malik Willis, Desmond Riddur, and true. we certainly didn't expect... True that guy uh Kenny Pickett to be the first one off the board. So Right.
0: Right. Yeah. So, so there it, is
1: some hope that course backs will fall. And when it's hendon Hooker, you'll like it.
0: The thing is that he'll be fucking thirty years old by the time he actually plays that's a meaningful fine. set. And that's okay because so, you
1: know thirty one. So
0: But but with that uh with that um that in mind though like that whole idea of like hey get a developmental guy like they'll just view Locke as that which sure if he's a backup keep him Locke's in house crazy. for a while Yeah, uh,
1: but there is the question of if he will resign in Seattle especially with uh, Dave Canales getting uh, hired right. to Tampa Bay and also Locke saying uh, Greg Bell uh, who's obviously um, connected with Locke uh, he said that uh, lock told him he wants to play next year so that sounds less well, like imagine, return. imagine if he said otherwise no i don't want to play Nah, yeah. nah. i yeah. like i like uh watching gino and picking up a nice backup quarterback check i yeah. mean yeah
0: i can't Im- so like if, if you're just in drew lock's shoes given your career trajectory seattle is a really squishy comfy situation because they love you they're investing in you you know behind the scenes and stuff right you'll still get like a chunk of change being a backup nice million dollar contract
1: yeah like do you You know go to tampa bay and like thrown to the wolves
0: right right i mean you
1: do have mike evans and uh and uh uh,
0: are you prepared for what i'm about to say
1: don't know don't trade for anyone (laughs)
0: <laughs> I heard from from a little birdie that
1: oh, little Ev- birdie
0: All the receivers are on the table in terms of moving them in Tampa Bay. It doesn't mean they want to move all of them, but they're willing they want to move one of them and they're willing right. to move any of them.
1: Okay, that's cool. Mike
0: Mike is Mike Evans not the perfect Gina receiver and that reinforces the strength and and can mop up some of the weakness
1: i don't see how catch radius baby but that's not gonna be the that's not that's not the robert woods type that you i know
0: for. it's so i mean can you imagine an offensive with dk and evans <laughs> you're, you're, Yeah, uh, you're, Evan,
1: they are very similar in usage right
0: yeah yeah you're, you're like the uh the chargers where they had vincent jackson and uh malcolm oh. malcolm smith where they just philip rivers was, was just awesome. doing nothing but north turner like you know seven step go balls all all game long yeah Yeah.
1: that was awesome
0: um and then and and hey who who, who's probably gino's uh who does he model his game after the most probably in all likelihood probably fucking philip rivers
1: (laughs) oh man he when you hear gino speak about rivers it's awesome
0: yeah
1: rivers was that guy
0: yeah anyway so brandon cooks for a third or they cap cut robert Woods. Yeah. you sign him for four okay. and a half million
1: we've been we've been talking long enough i think yeah yeah enough enough uh okay we'll be back we'll be we, we'll actually have draft stuff now we've we've done the uh we've done the recap check out the draft stuff we've done we looked at senior bowl guys Already the the cool dudes are now talking about our senior bowl guys, our guys, the Seattle Overloads prospects. And, yeah, now, now we can look ahead. Jalen Carter, Will Anderson, talk about that. Griff has dived very deep into them way earlier than me. We'll talk about quarterbacks. We'll talk about receivers. We'll talk about the combine. We'll talk about all of that good stuff. And free agency happens as well. There will be a Gino re-signing, we think, in Seattle. And if not, then it's complete carnage. So you've got that to look forward to. Right. Thank you everyone for tuning in live. Like the video. Follow Griff on Twitter at CMike Move. Follow me at Matty Brown. Follow the podcast at Seattle Overload. Hopefully I won't have a cold next time we record and my usual voice will be restored if you're listening five star review download the podcast do that anyway if you if you're watching now we appreciate we appreciate we appreciate you it's 3am have a good night